0: book three part six of susan by ernest old meadow this librivox recording is in the public domain sainte veronique part six before lunch i have seen the man from grand Pont. has the event proved worse than my fears or better i can't say all i know is that the event was different susan didn't go down with me to the bathing hut I unlocked it myself and carried out the deck chair onto a sunny patch of clean white pebbles. But I had hardly drunk in two draughts of the salt air when I sat up with a start. A man was watching me. He had been sprawling on the stones at the foot of the cliff about a quarter of a mile away. At such a distance it was impossible to make out his features, but as he stood up, I saw it was not Mr. John Lamb. I saw the figure of a man well drilled, a man accustomed to an outdoor life. The man wore a dark blue lounge suit, and a straw boater of unmistakably English lines. For a moment I thought with disgust that he was one of those provincial English tourists. We have had two or three of them on and off at St. Véronique, who find some sort of pleasure in lurking about the beaches, furtively watching the ladies while they bathe. I wished I hadn't left Susan behind. But as soon as he saw me sit up, the man began to walk towards me in a perfectly open manner, i couldn't feel sure that it wasn't ruddington it flashed across my brain that he was scheming an interview with me as a flank movement upon susan besides i remembered that a rather fine-tempered man like ruddington must perceive the unpleasantness of the position in which susan's acceptance of him would place susan's mistress and in his unconventional ingenuousness he was just the sort of man to come forward betimes with boyishly candid explanations and adjustments and appeals as he sped towards me over the blinding chalkstones there was something in his stride that recalled the eager masterful love-making of his present majesty of spain i got up relocked the hut door left the chair outstretched on the shingle and swung off for home as swiftly as was possible without seeming to run away i did not choose to grant an audience to lord Ruddington whenever and wherever it might suit him to claim it but his legs were longer than mine and in better training I had an instinct to run, an instinct to look back, but I mastered them both very soon. I could hear the stones crunching or slipping or rolling under his boots. Surely, I told myself angrily, any man who wasn't a bounder or a madman could see that I resented the pursuit, but he came ever quicklyer on, and as I gained the path up the beck, he positively broke into a run. I turned around; it was Gibson Gibson. I cried gibson is it you yes ma'am he answered firmly pulling off his hat and standing six feet away bareheaded in the sun what has brought you here i demanded as sternly as i could but i was too greatly relieved to make a convincing display of indignation i haven't been near the hotel ma'am said gibson meeting my eyes of course you haven't the idea But if you had, you'd have startled me less than by running after me on the beach like this. "'It's about Susan, ma'am,' said Gibson. Gibson is not a man of words, and I could see that he was determined not to be scolded or flurried out of the speech he had been rehearsing. "'Susan's all right,' I said. "'I told you so in my letter.' "'I thank you, ma'am,' said Gibson, less aggressively. "'I shan't never forget how kind you wrote.' "'What's the matter, then? "'You don't seem to realise, Gibson, that I'm very much annoyed. "'Didn't I tell you not to come to St. Veronique unless I sent for you?' "'You did, ma'am, you did,' answered Gibson, losing his self-control and speaking more and more excitedly. "'And I give you my word, ma'am, I won't come nearer St. Veronique than this bit of ground I'm standing on.' "'Oh, yes, ma'am, you've wrote right enough, and I thank you. "'But it's Susan.' she hasn't wrote not one line ma'am not so much as a card with a photograph of the peer on it you've forgotten the bargain gibson i'm ever so sorry for you but what did you say at Traxleby? you said you could bear susan marrying someone else so long as everything was honourable and above board you were not to come here unless i found that i nearly let slip lord ruddington's name that susan's admirer was not going to play the game so i did ma'am broke out gibson hotly that's what i said that's what i promised and i've cursed myself every day every minute of every day since i've said it it was a lie ma'am whether susan's took away from me honest or took away from me dishonest i can't stand it and i won't susan's mine i was a dirty hound ma'am ever to say as i would give her up even if it's the emperor of france that comes begging for her with a sack of gold and diamonds susan's mine she's the only girl in the world i ever cared about yes ma'am he cried proudly raising his voice and taking a step forward and susan's never cared a straw about any man in the world except me and she never shall susan is a free woman gibson i said ever since we left traxelby she hasn't mentioned your name i know nothing about it but how do you know that susan ever cared for you perhaps she only led you on as girls do and supposing she did care for you how do you know she hasn't changed her mind that's just the trouble ma'am said gibson bitterly i don't deny they may have changed her mind if they've dangled a lot of money before her eyes and fine clothes and jewellery and motor cars and going to egypt and all that i don't deny they may have managed to change her mind they may have been too strong for a poor girl Oh yes ma'am they may have changed susan's mind but but they can't never change her heart ma'am her heart'll go on beating true all the same all the time and when she's got tired of the fine things he clenched his fists and finished off the sentence with a gesture between rage and despair i was forced to turn away from the white heat of his rough eloquence and superb sincerity what is it you want gibson i asked as soon as i was able I want to know first, ma'am, has Susan got herself engaged? No, she has not. Is she going to be, ma'am? I don't know. It isn't my affair. I think she hasn't made up her mind one way or the other. I met Gibson's eyes, but this time it was he who looked away. Apologetically, clumsily, he asked, If I may make so bold, ma'am, is the party at St. The party? i mean ma'am the rich party that's took a fancy to susan no he is not i have never so much as seen him neither has susan but what did i promise didn't i give you my word that if he came here i would let you know that's why i'm so vexed gibson at your coming like this he accepted the rebuke without a word what are you going to do now i asked i suppose ma'am he said slowly and painfully i'd better go back to grand pong i asked him a few questions it turns out he came over on saturday via southampton and lee harbour he held a letter from a chauffeur he had met in Durlingham to a havre motor accessories firm the havre people hearing he wanted to be near st veronique gave him a letter to a small cycle and motor jobber in grand pont who speaks a little english he boards and lodges gibson and teaches him the driving and mending of cars in return for english conversation gibson's labour and thirty francs a week of course if you object to me staying at grand pong ma'am said gibson if i'd known beforehand i should have objected very much gibson i said but you've been so lucky in your arrangements i hardly like to disturb them give me your grand pong address gibson gave me a printed card he is staying la descente des automobilistes, the descent announces on a card adorned with crossed billiard cues over a foaming bock, that it speaks English and that it is equal to billiards, coffee, repairs, and beefsteaks at toutheure. Are you comfortable, Gibson? I asked Very he answered. I never could abide cider, and the beer is shocking, ma'am, but I'm quite comfortable. I'm glad, Gibson I said, I won't lose the address. Good morning i recorded to my shame that i was heartless enough to begin moving away indeed i had advanced twenty or thirty paces up the beck before gibson decided on a second pursuit about susan ma'am he said with red cheeks shall you tell susan ma'am that i'm in these parts that reminds me gibson i retorted you've forgotten so much of the bargain we made at traxelby that i can't be certain of anything you promised not to tell susan that i had ever let you discuss her with me i shan't forget ma'am but can't i see susan for a minute how where i might hang about ma'am and frighten her out of her life no thank you gibson if there's to be any meeting you'd better write about it from Grandpont. it'd take time ma'am surely you can wait a day or two gibson He lost his self-command once more. "'No,' he cried, "'I can't wait. And if I could wait, I won't. I must see Susan before another sun goes down.' "'Don't shout, Gibson,' I said. "'People will hear you. Even if it isn't against your interest to force yourself on Susan, how do you know she will see you? Perhaps she won't.' He started. Then he turned aside in such sharp trouble that my hard heart melted. The most I can do, I said, is this. I will tell Susan how you met me on the beach and that I was very angry. I will say nothing about our talk that night in the garden at Traxellby, and you must not mention it either. All I'm supposed to know is that you're very keen about Susan and that you think she encouraged you and that you're worrying because she doesn't write. In short, if you and Susan meet, you must keep to your own affairs and not bring me in it at all above all never say that i wrote to you i will tell susan that you will be on the beach at half-past two she must please herself whether she meets you or not but remember to-day is exceptional no secret meetings you can get something to eat in the village at the Cafe de la marine i must go i found susan sitting under an apple tree with georgette georgette was jabbering over a fearful and wonderful plum-coloured blouse which the two were slashing and altering it may have been my fancy but georgette looked a bit sheepish as she went away mese briggs advanced to meet me susan i said some one whom you know is in the neighbourhood susan's colour fled is he miss she asked fearfully at grand pont i went on madame du poirier told me about it last night she was at grand Pont station in the bus yesterday he read the name of the hotel and asked madame if you were here as usual susan's colour rushed back with reinforcements she began to tremble it's that flower miss she gasped georgette's flower oh miss gertrude i can't face him yet i can't i can't you don't need to susan i said "'It isn't Lord Reddington.' "'Susan moaned a little moan of thankfulness, "'but her face clouded again as I added. "'It is somebody else.' "'She searched my eyes. "'Then she asked in an agonized whisper. "'Not—it isn't—not Gibson, miss?' "'Yes,' I answered. "'Gibson.' "'Susan turned half round and gazed over the sea.' her pretty country girl's figure shook with hardly pent feeling for the first time i saw susan bitter and angry i'm ashamed of him miss she burst out i could never have believed it of him not knowing what to say i refrained from saying it susan's wrath waxed stronger she turned upon me with something dangerously like active resentment you-you knew last night miss she said almost fiercely certainly not susan i replied madame told me that an englishman had asked her questions at grand pont but she didn't know who he was and i never asked her to describe him then how do you know it is gibson asked susan a very little less pugnaciously because i've just seen him susan collapsed where miss where miss oh gasped susan come come i said i was quite as much annoyed as you are i told gibson very plainly what i thought about it but susan i must admit that there is some little excuse for him of course he hasn't repeated to me a single word that he ever said to you or that you ever said to him but it is plain that he's very fond of you and he thinks you encouraged him he says you haven't sent him even so little as a postcard for a fortnight susan's amazonian ire had died down to a village beauty's pout i can never forgive him miss she said i wouldn't have believed it of gibson not to mention the disrespect to you miss gertrude never mind the disrespect to me i answered i can look after that myself no doubt it's very silly and weak of him but the point is that gibson is so badly in love that he's madly jealous please miss you didn't tell him about lord ruttington asked mees briggs in a fright susan i said i'm surprised what are you thinking of unless you've told him yourself he can't have the faintest notion that there's a lord ruttington in the case but i can see he suspects there is somebody that's why he couldn't sit quiet in england while his rival cuts him out in france i shall never forgive him miss snapped susan more conclusively than ever don't say that susan i said or if you say it take care you don't mean it but i do miss then it's nothing to be proud of don't hate a man for merely loving you he ought to have stopped at home miss he ought but he hasn't you see susan i don't know how it is but you seem to have a way of making people do mad things gibson cares for you quite as much as lord ruddington does "'But he hasn't done anything madder than Lord Reddington's first letter, has he?' "'No, miss,' said Susan, mollified and visibly flattered. "'And after a minute's pleasant meditation on the unsuspected range and power of her charms, she added prettily, "'But Lord Reddington does stop at home when I tell him to, miss.' "'That's true,' I granted, "'but Lord Reddington has all the advantages. "'Poor Gibson is so frightfully handicapped.' i suppose he thinks that all's fair in love and war i'm annoyed with him for coming here but i admire his spirit gibson isn't a muff susan oh no miss she answered promptly and heartily in fact this morning i felt quite vexed with lord ruddington for stepping between you but i mustn't say more about that i will come to the point i have brought a message susan's agitation began afresh i've told gibson he mustn't come here he is lodging at grand pont at this minute he's getting something to eat in the village but he will be on the beach at half-past two to-day miss she asked faintly yes to-day you can please yourself whether you see him or not but understand susan i've told him it must be only this once no meetings on the sly of course not miss susan answered with a touch of indignation which i ignored if you do go to-day i added you won't mention lord ruddington's name but susan if there has been anything between you and gibson i'm bound to say that you have no right to trifle with him it isn't fair to him or to yourself or to lord ruddington or even to me perhaps it's still too soon for you to decide whether you will accept lord ruddington But it's high time for you to decide whether you will drop Gibson. If you find you can't drop Gibson, the other matter will settle itself. Be a good girl and remember that the only way to be happy is to do right. Only for heaven's sake, don't prolong the agony. I'm not going to grumble, Susan, but you must have seen that although I came to St. Veronique for peace and rest, I've had to spend nearly three weeks worrying my head over people that want to marry you. It's getting to be a bit tiresome you've been awfully good to me miss said susan with all her usual meekness i'll try i must stop here's georgette with a litre of cider and a crisp roll three feet long and a dish of vrai beurre noir a quarter past two susan has just started down to the beach three o'clock susan didn't say anything before she went while she was brushing my hair it had got all anyhow in the hammock after lunch she hardly uttered a word i have been thinking strange thoughts and wondering at some wonders what on earth can it be that has turned a china shepherdess like susan into a helen of troy why is she a storm centre a battlefield of heroes i have seen enough of the world to know that both gibson and lord ruddington are exceptional men what is it in susan that drives them mad susan's is not a case of the eternal masculine basely desiring lamb-like innocence and childish beauty in her case the groom is as good as the lord in native chivalry and honour madame's magnificent old empire cheval glass reflected us full length while susan was busy with my hair in the autumnal light and with the background of bright hangings and bold furniture we looked less like a mere reflection in a mirror than like one of those vivid modern french pictures at first the feeling was uncanny but by degrees this full-coloured life-sized gilt-framed portrait mastered me until i was able to look at it as dispassionately as if it had been on the wall of the luxembourg it was then i began to wonder at wonders and think thoughts one must not praise oneself up even in one's diary but one may one must be sincere and it is the simple truth that the more i compared the full-length portrait of susan with the full-length portrait of myself the deeper and more inscrutable became the mysteries of life i looked at the two portrayed forms and the two portrayed faces as critically and with as much detachment as if i had never seen the originals in the real world Reddington has seen susan thrice but he has seen me thrice also he says that i was with susan every one of the three times perhaps susan's brushing jogged my wits but face to face with that double portrait i couldn't help being reminded of what i scolded susan for saying this morning as a matter of purely speculative interest as a curious human problem i couldn't help saying to myself he saw us both why didn't he fall in love with me to be immodestly candid the only answer i could arrive at was i don't know of course what he says in his letter to susan about shrinking from making love to miss langley is absurd it is merely a fanciful thought after the event a pretty conceit a gossamer compliment partly to susan and mainly to himself he fell wildly instantly irresistibly in love with susan because there is something in susan which gave him no choice he looked at me and was cold because the something has been left out Never before today have I looked at myself in a glass hungrily, but today I peered with all the strength of my eyes into the confused depths of the secret. It was no good. I cannot read the riddle. I will write this page without reserve. It is no more my merit, my own work, that I am beautiful than it would be my fault, my disgrace if I had been born ugly. I will call a spade a spade and beauty beautiful. So here goes if susan is pretty i am beautiful and i am more beautiful than susan is pretty if susan is as graceful as a nymph i am as noble as a goddess if susan's blue eyes are as blue as the sky my brown eyes are deeper than the sea if susan is curds and cream i am fire and snow if susan can turn plain men into heroes i ought to raise heroes into gods yes although i have a hundred deformities of mind a thousand uglinesses of conduct and character which i could help and for which i am to blame it is the plain truth that god chose to make me beautiful has not every one told me so as long as i can remember but heaven knows that although i have always felt glad it has never made me puffed up or vain and i'm thankful it hasn't if it had this would have been a bitter day for my pride for after all ruddington saw us both and he fell in love with susan i can think of only one answer to the enigma and i hope it isn't the right one i suspect that men of abundant manliness like lord ruddington and gibson instinctively seek for their opposites in the shape of some passive clinging femininity like susan's they demand that the woman shall be pretty as well as clinging and passive and feminine because they know that they are brave and that the brave deserve the fair i suspect that these strong characters find sweet repose in a simple woman's characterlessness their eager spirits recuperate in her placidity conversely a flabbier man rejoices in a strenuous all-alive woman take poor alice she is taller than i am stronger quicker harder more self-willed and i suppose that is why hugh in his humdrum way adores her and is wretched when she's away like a faithful hound if this be the sound theory i shall never marry how could i endure a man weaker and pettier than myself and yet the only kind of man i could ever want won't ever want me i wish i hadn't begun to think these thoughts still more do i wish i hadn't made them become clearer by writing them down it makes the world seem so mean and lean there ought to be grander men than reddington men who would spurn honeyed sloth with dolls like susan men who would exult at the challenge of a proud high-spirited woman as climbers exult at the white blaze of the young frau as hunters exult at the roaring of a desert lion as soldiers exult at the sight of a strong city set on a hill But, alas, for this shrunken, sluggish, poverty-stricken time, when I, poor I, who am so far short of being a heroine, must begin to regard myself as a Brynhild doomed to virgin sleep, because the Siegfrieds are all too timid and too puny to leap through the small fires of my will and my pride! End of Book Three, Part Six.